This is The UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode number 11 of the UU Perspective podcast, where you hear weekly interviews with fellow Unitarian Universalists or Unitarians that are out there making a difference in the world. They are taking a stand on issues that face us in the world today, and they're making a difference inside of the, their communities. So whether you are already a member or you're a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. My guest today is Steve Dick, and he is the Executive Director of the International Council of Unitarian and Universalists. He resides in London, England, and he is a British Unitarian minister. He was actually born in the USA and had resided in the Washington, D.C. area for quite a while. And you're going to find today that he is going to explore a little bit more of the history of Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists, kind of a little expansion upon what we heard from Susan Ritchie. So I kind of wanted to dovetail these two for that reason. And he's all about making connections with Unitarian and Universalists around the world and the question of how can we make that happen? Take the time and think, what can you do to make more connections? Can you, as a member of a congregation, possibly create a way to incorporate a service with another fellowship in another country? Have a simulcast. There's just so many possibilities. So take the time to also explore the ICUU website, the Unitarians website in Europe, and the European Unitarian Universalist site. These are interesting websites to explore to see how you can make more connections with our fellow Unitarian and Unitarian Universalists in Europe. So here we go. Here's Steve. All right, everyone. I am thrilled to have Steve Dick here, and I've already given you a little information, a little overview about Steve, but Steve, I'd like you to go ahead and tell everyone kind of who you are, what you're about, and your role in uh, the UU community. Thanks, Sharon, and I'm, I'm glad to be with you. And I, I suppose uh, who, who I am is in many different ways, depending on how you look at it. Um, I'm from the United States originally, uh, but I've been in, in Europe actually for the majority of my life and in the U.K. for the last 30 years, um, working, starting out as training for a uni- to be a Unitarian, not a Unitarian Universalist minister in the United Kingdom, serving a, a congregation in southern London, uh, then working as a sort of a uh, equivalent of a district executive in the one kind of role. We've got that in the United Kingdom around London, the southeast. Uh, a brief stint as the sort of the equivalent of President Peter Morales in the States, but on a much, much smaller level. Uh, and since 2009, I've been working with the International Council of Unitarian Universalists as the executive director, but just before anyone gets a, a very highfalutin idea that I sit on top of some kind of empire and have a high rank with that, let me let me just say that I am the sole full-time office 
worker for ICU. So as well as anything else, it's bottle washing and typing and all that kind of thing. We have a very small organization, the International Council of Unitarian Universalists, but as I hope you'll, you'll hear as we talk during these, these moments, it, it's actually a huge um, community globally of Unitarian and Unitarian Universalists that, of course, people in the UA are an important and vital part of. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit more about how the ICUU started. Sure. Well, the, the ICU started, in fact, uh, 20, 20 years ago, uh, March um, 1995, whatever that, I think that's what that makes it. And it was came out of an awareness that there was a, a desire and a need for Unitarian and Unitarian Universalists to uh, cooperate and collaborate around the world. Um, there had been other opportunities, the International Association for Religious Freedom, IARF, an organization still going, which is largely now an interfaith organization, was a place where Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists connected. And also at that time, the UUA was trying to support groups around the world um, with bringing in the Unitarian Universalists in the Philippines, um, some European largely expatriate congregations, but it became aware that it couldn't, didn't have the capacity and the finances to fully support that and continue to work for Unitarian Universalists in the, in the US, USA. So this very unusual organization, ICU, was founded, and I am say it was very unusual in that um, unusually for a Unitarian Universalist organization, it was intentionally anti-democratic or undemocratic in the very beginning. Now, I mean this in the sense of majorities and numbers and all that kinds of things. Although the Unitarian Universalist Association, and we can even do the numbers game in a bit if you want, is by far the largest, the hugest in terms of individual members, Unitarian community in the world, group in the world, um, there, there are a number of groups of all different kinds of sizes, and intentionally, was when this organization was set up as a network, every group got one or two votes, whether it had hundreds of thousands of members like the UUA or whether, like, for example, the Italian Unitarians um, was less than 50, everybody had a voice at the table, and everybody was welcomed equally and in the spirit of mutuality, whether they were rich or poor, whatever their resources were. Wow, okay. And so what was, what was the goal of the group to be formed as it, as it is? Right. Well, there, there are basically three uh, purposes which, which continue to, to this day uh, to be an important part. One, one was to sort of foster communication relationships and understanding within the international UU community, bringing together the leaders of all the groups around the world for dialogue and communication. Secondly, to build networks and partnerships among member groups, their congregations, leaders, and institutions. Uh, it, it intentionally wasn't set up to be some kind of papacy or some kind of world council of churches. Uh, we're fostering things rather than controlling things. So we, we set up a lot of sort of uh, uh, partnerships and and uh, three-way groups and all kinds of connections. Um, and then a very important role as well is identifying and nurturing emerging groups around the world for mutual inspiration, development, and growth. The Unitarianism and Unitarian Universalism is growing around the world like wildfire. 
almost monthly, somebody new in some other part of the world contacts us and says, we're looking to become Unitarians or Unitarian Universalists, finding a lot of uh, contacts on the web. But it's astonishing how, as people are looking for religious opportunities to broaden their perspectives and to be able to be much more inclusive in faith and spirituality, uh, they find out about us. And this is, it's important for us uh, to be able to nurture these new expressions and, and also to be nurturing them as indigenous groups. And finally, something which has emerged, which may or may not have been seen as important, and, and that is for supporting our sisters and brothers of faith around the world when they are in peril. Uh, there are various different ways that we work in the, as Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists in the community, things like the service committee, things like the UUA, but particularly there often needs to be support for people of faith like us that are often overlooked. Like just literally at the moment, I'm busy with the, our Unitarian Church in Burundi, which is caught up in election difficulties and uh, violence which is taking place. And in, in the church, although it has not been involved in the political activities, and this is about uh, the next presidential election and a uh, presidential candidate incumbent who had agreed to stand down uh, is insisting on running again despite the efforts of the United Nations Security Council. So the, the country is in turmoil and the Unitarian Church is in an area which is recognized as an opposition area, so we're talking about uh, people's livelihoods, we're talking about safety, there have been gunshots in the area of the church in the last several days, so we're, we're even involved in that kind of thing, um, bringing and connecting in the world community to help and support each other. Wow, okay, so there's quite a few different areas and just a lot of partnering up, too, to connect sure. people. And what what do you think is the biggest kind of impact that you've seen so far? Um, well, the, 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 the biggest impact, I think, is, is, is about us learning how to be, uh, deal with, with different cultures. Uh, one, one, one of the things about um, our liberal expression of faith that we sometimes think is, is different than fundamentalism is, is we think that we don't get set in our ideas, um, although we think those other folks do. But some, sometimes our perspectives are limited by, because we are not necessarily looking and seeing other ways of seeing the world. Um, one tends to get sort of focused on one's own understandings. And as one makes contact with these other groups, and, you know, one may walk into this kind of work of engagement with groups around the world thinking that the UUA has it right and that we're, all we have to do is export this and it's wonderful – Constantly we find that other things that people have to offer in other places may be better ways of looking at faith, may be better ways of looking at understanding. And it, it's really sort of, um, I mean, this may seem strange to say, but I, I think it helps make us humble uh, because it, it helps us to know that there are various different ways of seeing the world. We say that to fundamentalists, but we also need sometimes to say it to ourselves. Yes. Wow. Okay. What is the biggest challenge that you've seen since you've been a part of the group? 
Well, just of course, one one of one of the one of the challenges always is, is finding the the money and the resources and time uh, to support these people around the world that are are are, are so excited and, and motivated by the uh, potential of Unitarianism and Unitarian Universalism. And you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, it, the whole idea of social justice. You know, we sometimes go to them and say, um, you know, do you do any any work with social justice? And say what's the difference between social justice and faith? Our whole life is about that. Um, and it, it, it just sort of really makes you want to support them. I mean, there are things like uh, LGBT concerns, there are things like economic concerns. Uh, there, there are the freedom that we often have to speak and to act uh, isn't necessarily in, in other places. And, and there's even the, 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 the question of perception. I mean, I was really struck by um, a blog that was out about a year ago, not from a Unitarian Universalist, a, uh, a young woman named Pippa Biddle um, that was called The Problem with Little White Girls and Boys, Why I Stopped Being a Volunteerist. And, you know, that, that has sort of a uh, catchy title and uh, maybe sort of a questionable title, but it turns out to be about this young woman who was engaging with, um, I think it was in somewhere in, in South America on a project where they were um, helping build a, a school for some children, and this girl apparently had trouble sleeping at night. It was kind of noisy, and she uh, woke up and, and looked around and, and found out um, that there were actually people working late at night in where they were doing the project very carefully taking down all the bricks that the young women had been putting up in the day because they were apparently so terrible um, and not the proper construction, and then actually re- relaying the bricks. But they were going through this pretense because it was so important to them to have the support and encouragement from Western people, and they were very worried that if they didn't go through this kind of process and, and let these people come and do what they saw as important work, uh, that there wouldn't be engagement. So what we're really focusing on and what the, really need, the need is is to sort of redefine how we engage with people in other parts of the world. And, and I would suggest that maybe even it might have something to offer and teach us about how we engage locally within our communities because we tend to think sometimes that we're monoculture. But I think in our congregations and groups in the United States, we're multicultural as well and, and need to learn from others how they deal with these differences. Yes, that's so true. Yes, definitely. As the group has grown through the years, what would you say has been the biggest change that has happened since it's been formed? I, I think that it has, it has always been about mutuality, and it has always been about relationships on equality, based on equality. But I think the, the biggest change has been that we've understood that how we see things is as much a barrier to what we intend sometimes. For, for example, or to put it in a different way, I think for, for a long time we thought that Unitarian Universalism was a global faith and that all we had to do was get it out there and share it with people and it would be this wonderful thing sitting up there with Roman Catholicism and other forms of Christianity, Buddhism and Hinduism and so forth. And... For many who talked about that kind of thing, 
it was very interesting how if you, it really did surprisingly look like American Unitarian Universalism. There didn't seem any difference. But we've discovered that, in fact, Unitarianism, Unitarian Universalism probably isn't a global faith, that that's the wrong way to look at that. Uh, Brian Kiley, Canadian minister and the past president of ICU, even said in probably what has been quoted all over the place, Unitarianism, Universalism is not a global faith. Rather, it is a collection of indigenous expressions of the liberal religious spirits. And you might think, or we might think, or we might feel inadequate, or that in some way saying that Unitarian Universalism is not a global faith is somehow a kick in the teeth or somehow suggests that we don't have an important role. But I would suggest, we would suggest, that in fact it presents the opportunity to be a unique role, that by being able to be a place where the indigenous expressions of the liberal religious spirit can find a home, it offers an opportunity where people can be who they have to be, be on their own spiritual journeys, live their culture, live their story, but in the kind of faith and the kind of ethics and the kind of principles that for us are so crucial to what Unitarian Universalism is. So we have these differences. I mean, I was even noticing that, that I had that view just like you're saying, oh, Unitarian Universalism, it's everywhere. And even in doing these podcasts, I'm learning so much and finding, going through your site and then getting funneled through to the Unitarians site. And I'm seeing there's differences. And Mm -hmm. can you kind of tell us a little bit about what those differences are? Sure. Well, to give you an example of some of that, I mean, we, we tend to talk about Unitarian Universalism. And in fact, there are very few groups in the world that call themselves Unitarian Universalists. Um, the, in, in fact, we are, the, we are the biggest group, but there are uh, groups that are, uh, for example, the Unitarian, the people in, in the UK are Unitarians, Canadians, uh, the uh, Transylvanians, the oldest groups are Unitarians, not Unitarian Universalists. Many groups, not all groups, are Christian, but on the other hand, there are some groups which are not Christian at all. Not even all groups call themselves Unitarian or Unitarian Universalists. So one of the newest groups, the Freisenega community in the Netherlands, which is a fairly big group, about 5,000 strong, they don't use the term Unitarian, and they have no intention of using the term Unitarian. But it's very clear that they see Unitarianism as their spiritual home and the kind of community that they want to be in. Uh, practices are very different. Uh, I, you know, tell a story as I go around, and this is a true story, that, that when I was in Africa, um, and I was in a particular group and taking part in a service, I, I was asked to uh, say a few words about the collection. And so I thought, well, I can do that. And that's obviously the same all over. So I got up and, and did my little party piece that I have. I shouldn't call it a party piece, I suppose. But the, the, the words I often say about how um, a collection or an offertory is the uh, community taking care of its needs and sharing in its generosity to support uh, the, the greater spiritual good and that sort of thing. And, and then I sat down and I thought, well, I've, I've handled that. But they gently put me back on my feet. Because in this particular place, the practice is that there is the collection, and then rather than the collection going to the work of the church or the congregation or the group, 
they pick one person or one family in the congregation that Sunday that is the most in need of support. And the entire collection is presented to that person or family to use for their needs. And, and not in the sort of a quiet, you know, after the service word with the minister or the, the president, but ceremonially, I had to walk over and present that to the person in the service. Now, this was way outside my comfort zone. Um, I have to tell you, it's very unusual for me, but it was usual for them, and it made sense, and, and you know, why, why not in a particular culture? So, you know, there are these, these variances out there that um, are, are really and really significant. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so uh, go back, you know, you're talking about the Netherlands. Sure. Do, are they taking on the principles, though? They just don't take on the name? Well, essentially, they take on uh, the principles, so to speak. But even even the the principles of the UUA are um, the UUA are part of the. Uh, we, we do have, and I'll, I'll share with you just briefly because it's it's kind of interesting. We have a similar principle statement, and and I'll read to you here some aspects of the principles of the Unitarian Universal Association, and, and, and some not. But they're kind of uh, what we use is sort of trying to understand whether a group, for example, such as that of the Netherlands that doesn't use the name, whether they're part of us. Uh, we, the member groups of the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists, affirming our belief in religious community based on liberty of conscience and individual thought in matters of faith, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice and compassion in human relations, responsible stewardship of the Earth's living system, and our commitment to democratic principles. And that's what we ask groups to sign on for if they're going to be part of the international community of Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists through ICU, but as I'm sure you'll hear, have heard, there, there, there's a lot of similarity and a lot of congruence with the EUA principles, but, but not everything is there and, and not in the same way as in the principles. Oh, okay. And what, I mean, we have people that listen that are just wondering about Unitarian and Universalism. Can you give us a specific difference between, say, Unitarian Universalism, Unitarian, and Universalists. Okay, well, um, to, to a certain extent, the real definitions of, of Unitarian, uh, Unitarianism and Unitarian Universalism um, are, are, are sort of blurring a bit at the edges as, as we develop uh, over the time because, of course, uh, one of the beauties and one of the intrinsic values, I think, of our approach to faith and spirituality is it can change. And it can develop and modify, but at least in terms of the development and the the origins, Unitarian Universalism uh, in the United States, of course, was two di two different uh, religious groups, the Unitarians that came from, in terms of originally standing for a theological position of one God rather than multi-gods, rather than a Trinitarian view, and Universalism being coming from the idea of universal salvation, not as it's often thought uh, that it came from, from some idea of, uh, of universality, of, uh, of, of different ideas and, and groups of people coming together, although some have taken that as their meaning. So these two uh, religious bodies in the 1960s merged 
in the United States and became the Unitarian Universalist Association. In the United Kingdom, for example, although there was a universalist element in the UK, and in fact, you can, uh, if you read the history of universalism in the United States, there um, is a English or British influence on that, but universalism doesn't exist anymore. Unitarianism is, is what carried forward. Um, universalism was, was never part of the story in, in Hungary and Romania and the Transylvanian tradition, and, and so in fact, they're, they're Unitarians. And just, just to give you another example of, of the, the differences, you know, we have a thing, there's a thing called the Global Chalice Lighting Words that the ICU sponsors, that we do each month a different set of chalice lighting words. And we encourage groups around the world, um, congregations, to use that one Sunday a month. Um, and that is a way of reminding each other that we're part of a, a global community and we provide it in different languages. And one of the languages we, we don't provide it in is Hungarian. And somebody said, why don't you provide it in Hungarian? After all, the Unitarians in Hungary and Romania are probably the second largest group of, in, that we have in the world. And the reality is, when we went and talked to the Hungarian Unitarians about it, was in fact the global ch the chalice is not part of their tradition. If you go to a Transylvanian service, you won't see a chalice being lit, except if, maybe if it's uh, been donated by an American partner church and they adopted that tradition. So you, there's yet 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 another big difference, and it's again. I mean, these are real differences. These are, are differences in theological understandings. The uh, uh, Unitarians in Transylvania are Christians. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, but, th but that doesn't necessarily need to be a barrier. In fact, it shouldn't be a barrier of the, the, the diversity of faith and understandings that exist within our community. Again, the, the preciousness, I think, is that we can be so diverse but yet love together and consider ourselves sisters and brothers in one global community. Yeah, wow. So how do we bring all of us together in working together? Uh, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge. Um, and I, I think that it requires a, a certain willingness to be in what one I, Unitarian Universalist ministers call it right relationship. Other people might call it mutuality, about coming together as equals and coming together and respecting each other in our, in our own position. You know, Francis David was uh, the, uh, the famous Transylvanian cleric and uh, leader and beginner of, of that tradition, was famously thought to have said, we do not think, need to think alike, to love alike. And you'll find that expression in a, in a lot of uh, Unitarian Universalist material. We now know that actually he didn't say that, that that came from somewhere else, in fact. But this, the sentiment behind that, that and, and I kind of slightly tend to rephrase it to that we do not need to be alike, to love alike. But the real challenge here is being able to be open to difference without seeing it as something which is a problem. You know, prob they talk about problems as potentially being opportunities. And I suppose that's good, you know, just so long as um, you don't have any insurmountable opportunities um, that, that you end up. But I think this is a, a real opportunity for us to learn how we need to accept 
people who are different from us in really significant ways and in similar ways. Because indeed, by learning how to offer this, by learning how to truly work together for mutual benefit, to discover strengths and depths that are available to us that don't depend on thinking the same way or, or believing the same way or having the same understanding of aspects of life, that's the only way that we can hope to begin to offer to wildly diverse and different communities of faith around the world to help move towards a peaceful world. And how are we going to connect in the world? What What's the, kind of the big picture of how that can happen? Uh, with people like us or with people of, of all kinds of different understandings of, of faith? Well, you mentioned beforehand sure. about connecting with you use around the world faithfully. Right. Sure. Well, well yes. Well, that's, that's an important thing because, uh, you know, it's it become a, a really challenging dimension, particularly from one of the, the, you know, one of the most wonderful things that has probably happened in our lifetimes, or, or at least those of us that remember a time before, you know, who are sort of ancient and ready to coil off the shift at some point, is what's happened with the Internet and social media and how we, we suddenly are able to have real-time, inexpensive conversations and connections with people around the world. The other thing, a problem of that, of course, is that although our, our, our world seems to be becoming smaller, it's becoming more challenging to understand what's going on. I mean, one of, one of the difficulties we find is that, you know, making connections via Facebook and other social media, 90% of all the people that you find describing themselves as Unitarians or Unitarian Universalists, undoubtedly are really good people to connect with. But like with everything else, there are some people that are actually using it as a way to get resources, money, support from other people in other parts of the world. And it's, it's challenging. You just can't take things at face value anymore. And so one of the, one of the services that we never thought that we would do is that we end up telling people, well, these people are, we know of them, they're legitimate, these people, uh, we're not sure about them, you know, you need to check things out. And it's, and it's a role that fortunately we, we don't have to do alone, because as well as the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists, uh, there are other wonderful resources, such as the UUA International Resources Office that's led by Reverend Eric Cherry and the Partner Church Council in the United States, the Church of Larger Fellowship. You had Meg Riley on your program um, a bit before. Uh, but we're all working together, helping people to channel money to good places because we, we advise people don't send money unless you have some history of relationship and interactions. People have learned that uh, Unitarian Universalists are very generous and are very eager to help, and so sometimes they reach out to people. And on the other hand, there are some groups and places needing support that don't get to master the, the Facebook thing. So these, these are some of the challenges about communicating and engaging internationally. But the, the underlying thing, and in fact, you know, we made a whole webinar about this that you can view via the ICU website. And uh, Eric Cherry, who I mentioned, has drafted a, a statement of guiding principles of UU international engagement. But I would just want to sort of sum that up here by, by saying that it is about really understanding what you're trying to do, 
who you need to be, what kind of relationship. It's all about relationships, and in a way it mirrors uh, what we are in life. I mean, sometimes people go into these international connections because they get excited by the fact that they think somebody needs them and they're the only person that can help that person in the part of the world. And, and, and that can be a bit challenging because it can lead you to sort of not be as careful as you might be, not to be as supportive as you might be, just sort of ending up being a deep pocket for some. This is not to say that we shouldn't connect. It's, very, it's crucial that we connect. It's crucial that we connect with each other. But it's very important to do it, um, the word we almost sort of use as a pun, faithfully with the principles and ideals of our faith. And, and not just in the indiscriminate way that sometimes, unfortunately, leads Americans uh, to be described as the ugly American or the, the big, loud, brash American, which is really a misdescription of what, we're, what we can be at our best, but is sometimes apt for perhaps describing how we sometimes wade in without thinking and caring how we are impacting others. And what do you see is kind of that future as far as connecting, you know, around the world? Will it be with social media, internet, I mean, or more uh, organizing uh, events together, that type of thing? Well, I think certainly, yes, certainly a lot of opportunities will be with internet and with social media. And uh, I think, you know, in, in some ways we are in early days with social media. The, you know, for example, in emails, you don't get the emotional content and sometimes we can easily misunderstand, but I think we will, we will learn to uh, understand each other better. Um, as time goes on, there, there will be no substitute for continued face-to-face -face connections. The International Council of Unitarians and Universalists every other year sponsors a conference and council meeting that is open not just to the, the, the big leaders of the groups, but, but to anyone who can arrange the resources. And we sometimes are able to offer sponsorships. And, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity to be together with the uh, people from the end. There, there are 30 countries now where there are uh, ICU member groups or emerging groups, and we bring people together from all those groups, not, not just to um, have political discussions or to have even uh, lectures, but also to live together for a week or two. And, and a lot of opportunities for just telling each other stories and getting to know each other, uh, that, that's very powerful. There are other ways that we'll be trying to bring people together, like one project we're working on is trying to create opportunities for, say, for example, your congregation in Cleveland, perhaps to worship together with a congregation in Nairobi, Kenya using webcams and broadcast and, you know, the, the Internet, uh, because it's so crucial that we not just have this kind of contact and engagement on in terms of religious leaders, in terms of ministers, in terms of those who have the resources to travel, but also to every single person to give the opportunity in a congregation to know that they are not alone, that they are part of a bigger, a very diverse community, but a community that is really family in every sense of the word. Yeah, it would be exciting to have a, a combined service with another country, you know, another mm -hmm. congregation. Mm -hmm. Your conferences, do you have uh, members from the United States that are part of the ICU? 
Sure, absolutely. The, uh, the Unitarian Universalist Association is, is one of the founding members of the, uh, of, of the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists. And as I said earlier, um, the way it was set up, you know, there are only two votes. So there are only two voting people from, from the EUA. But because of the situation that many people are in the privileged position of being able to travel or get support to travel, the delegation from the United States is usually um, one of the bigger delegations, although the interesting experience is they're never in the majority at these meetings, even though they're, we're talking about a couple hundred people. And, and that in itself is a very exciting thing, I think, uh, as speaking as an American, to be somewhere where Americans are not the majority in the discussion. And I, I might just mention that there's one coming up, in fact, next summer, July 2016, in the Netherlands that will be circulating information about this summer. It would be a great opportunity for people to consider coming along and perhaps combining it with a family vacation or something. We're actually, again, creating, using a center that has space for families and uh, for recreation and lots of other opportunities. So even if you drag along someone who maybe doesn't think the greatest thing would be sitting in a meeting, uh, there are opportunities. But it's, it's a real, you know, there, there's no substitute, whether it's by coming to a conference like this or whether it's by Skyping or being in some various meetings, to, to actually spending time with uh, individual Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists from other places around the world. It is such a transformative experience. Oh, that sounds exciting. I want to come to the Netherlands. <laughs> yes, please do. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see if that can happen. That's right. That's right. So tell us a little bit more. Are you a lifelong UU? I'm a uh, sort of a three-quarters lifetime. Uh, my, my father was a Jew and my mother was a uh, Presbyterian. And when I was sort of in my very uh, early childhood, it must be early childhood, because my experiences be, that I can remember before that were, were, were coloring pictures of uh, Jesus and getting told off for making his, uh, using the black rather than the Caucasian crayon the color in Jesus, uh, they both had decided that they just, you know, couldn't find the, the freedom they needed in their journey, and they actually went and were involved in, in starting a Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in Frederick, Maryland, many longer years ago than I want to acknowledge. But so from say, sort of a childhood period, I've been a, a Unitarian and then Unitarian Universalist, and now Unitarian again, being a British Unitarian is my main affiliation. Had you, have you had anyone who has inspired you along in your journey as a Unitarian? Gosh, the trouble is not thinking about whether uh, there's anybody that inspired me. Just, the trouble is that there's so many. But the one that would really seem seminal and is that um, there used to be a, uh, a, a religious education program. I, I, when I was in uh, Rockville, Maryland, um, Unitarian Church of Rockville, uh, there was an RE program called Church Across the Street uh, that was used many years ago. And it was at that time, it was an opportunity to teach about different faiths. And so we learned about Judaism in Sunday school. We learned about Islam. We learned about 
Hinduism and so forth. And the thing that really struck me about this Sunday school teacher, and I will that I will never forget him for, was we went through this whole thing where we went and taught, learned, and then you know, being in the D.C. area, we went and visited a mosque and we visited a synagogue and so forth. And on on the very last Sunday of that term, um, he said to us, he said, "Well, I want you to think about." you know, the different places we visited and the different religions that we've had a look at, because we want you from the next year on to go to the faith that speaks to you. Now, I want you to know that Unitarianism is very important to us. That's why we have this church. That's why you, you come here to Sunday school. But if you have, have come to a conclusion that another one of these uh, churches or faiths is where you need to be, We'll do everything we can next year to help you go there. We'll try and arrange rides or, or whatever, because it, it really has to be decided by you. Now, of course, or you may be surprised to hear that we all decided we were going to stay and be Unitarians. But the fact that somebody trusted us, the fact that somebody spoke to us that way, the fact that somebody was not afraid of differences or understanding that was empowering, and that made a huge difference, and that has guided me throughout my life, through my Unitarian, and probably has much to do with my predilection and desire to be involved in international liberal religious faith. How it makes sense. Yeah, that's great. And do you have a favorite quote that you could share with us? Sure. These, these are words from uh, R- Rabbi Rachel Naomi Remen, who you know, had a very challenging life, uh, suffered through illness, and, and so she talked a lot about the ways we relate to each other. But she had some very helpful insights, because she talks about helping, fixing, and serving as, as being uh, different kinds of things, and that we often talk about helping and fixing, and without understanding that that says something about the relationship, that, that helping suggests that we somehow are more powerful or more worthy or stronger than the people that we're going to help. Or if we talk about fixing, that we're talking about something being broken that needs to be repaired, but that we need to reach out to each other in a, in a spirit of service. And she, she wrote these words, fixing and helping create a distance between people, an experience of difference. We cannot serve at a distance. We can only serve to that which we are profoundly connected, that which we are willing to touch. Fixing and helping are strategies to repair life. We serve life not because it is broken, but because it is holy. Serving requires us to know that our humanity is more powerful than our expertise. And in ICUU, we're convinced we're not talking about helping each other in Unitarian Universalist communities around the world. We're not talking about fixing, but we are talking about serving, and we are called to serve each other in whatever ways we can. It's more, more powerful than our knowledge, our understandings, or even our wisdom. It's what love really is. That's wonderful. I love that when I first read it, when you... <laughs> gave that to me, I was like, wow, this is very impactful. So I appreciate you saying that out loud. So now don't always live up to it, but uh, you know, <laughs> we keep working on it. That's right. Right. It's what to, what to strive for. And it keeps you focused and on the path. So, <laughs> so one 
last question that I ask everyone, and it is, how is Unitarian Universalism, or Unitarian and Universalism, as a religious denomination, uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? Well, I'm glad you qualified that one, Sharon, because that was, I was, had a little note here, well, not all of us are Unitarian Universalists, and, uh, you know, one could quibble about the word denomination, which uh, suggests that, you know, we're part of a, a, a bigger and oftentimes of Christian churches, but, you know, it's not the time to quibble or even to quibble about whether something is unique. What's important is the, the latter part, about how we're positioned to serve and impact society. And, and for me, I just want to touch briefly on, on the thing, that phrase that I sometimes hear people say, and absolutely makes me cringe totally cringe, you know, like somebody um, drawing their fingernails across the chalkboard. And it's when people say that Unitarian Universalism is where you can believe whatever you want. And to me, that's not what it is at all. To me, Unitarian Universalism is where you, a place where you can believe what you need to believe, what you are called to believe even if that may not be socially acceptable, even if that may not be conventional, even if that, that may not be what you're used to or you think is desirable. Unitarian Universalism, Unitarianism, uh, the Freisinigan for the, what the Dutch call it, the way we're uniquely positioned to serve and impact society, I believe, is that we are, have a powerful opportunity to bring people who care about the world and each other together in a religious and spiritual way across boundaries and cultures to foster freedom in religion. Not just freedom between religions or freedom for religions, but freedom in religion in the interest of spiritual justice, peace, and harmony because it is only with the fetters really open, the real embodiment of an open mind and an open faith, not bound by culture or dogma or creed or sexuality or race or all the kind of barriers and boundaries that we put down, can we really reach across to each other in the way we desperately need to model and to show to each other to counteract the desperate and world-killing differences of those who cannot offer opportunities to reach across boundaries. Unitarian Universalism is a model to the world and how differences can unite us rather than divide us. Thank you. Ooh. Wow. I have to say that I will probably rephrase this question from now on because <laughs> you have educated me. <laughs> Is there anything uh, that you would like to add on that we haven't covered or say about the ICU or anything else uh, that we were missing? No, I think we've covered that. I mean, if I was going to sort of put an exclamation point, it would be to, to look at the, 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 the fascinating story 
of how other other groups that have become part of our our family, our our global uh, liberal family, found us. It's very interesting to look, for example, at the the Kazi uh, Unitarians and the Kazi Hills, the Indians, um, and it's mirrored in the Philippines and some others where they actually looked to us that we could be across cultures, and 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 this is this is the um, the, the the really fascinating thing that I I think that uh, Unitarian Universalism is not a particular context. It is a way of embracing the context that one lives in, but in a meaningful and purposeful and hopefully spiritually enlightening way. Mm. Yes. And Steve, how can people get a hold of you if they want to uh, talk to you or converse with you more? Sure. Well, I'm... I have a certain a certain amount of time to talk to people, but of course there are lots of resources that hopefully you'll you'll list these as well we, when you post the the, um, the podcast. Things like the ICU website, we have uh, a, an active group on Facebook, International UUs. We have uh, various mailing lists like that we send out the Global Chalice Lighting, and I can often be found at meetings such as the the UA meetings in Portland in June, and I'll be at the Canadian Unitarian meetings in May. And uh, drop me an email at execsecicu.net. It may take me a while to get back to you uh, since I you know, have a few hundred thousand things to do, but you are important and, and we'll reach out to you. And there actually are opportunities for volunteers uh, to become involved in some of this work. And if, you, if you're interested, I can't promise you exactly what's available and when, but uh, we'd be delighted to hear from you and we'd be delighted to see you at these meetings. As I stressed earlier, it's not our meetings and gatherings are not just only open to the world leaders. They're open to you as well. Great. Wonderful. That's a great invitation. Appreciate it. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being with everyone today and really enlightening us about the differences, but yet sameness of everyone. And uh, we'll hopefully people will see you at the General Assembly in Portland this year and maybe in Canada also. Thanks. And thanks for the opportunity. You bet. Thanks for listening to the UU Perspective podcast. And you can go to uuperspective.com where you'll find all the show notes and all the links that Steve mentioned so you can get connected internationally to our fellow Unitarians in Europe and any other country too. So please uh, make the connection. See who you can connect with and with other Unitarians. And again, please leave a review if you would on iTunes and you can connect with us on Stitcher Radio also. And until next time, thanks for listening.